You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Good morning. How are you today? I think that that extra hour of sleep did you well. You seem very bright and and ready to go. Uh, What a privilege it is to be with you here on the Cornelius campus today. Uh, For those who may not know who I am, my name is Stan, and I serve as the campus pastor at our East Lincoln campus over in Denver. And I want to just say we are having a good time as the extension of the Grace Covenant family in the East Lincoln area. We love what we're doing just like you do here. And I told a couple of people, you can come over and visit us sometime. It doesn't mean you have to leave this campus. Just drop in and then come back here the next week. Sounds like a good deal to me, right? Well, Pastor Farrell is away on a ministry assignment this weekend. He is looking forward to being back with you next weekend. Meanwhile, I have the opportunity to launch us into a new teaching series that focuses, it centers around the Old Testament book and story of Esther. So with that in mind, before I pray, there's a passage of scripture that I would like to read that I believe is kind of the focal point of the story of Esther. Everything else revolves around it. It's found in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, You can follow along as I read, and it says this. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And listen to this. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Could we pray together? Father God, very simply this morning, we ask that by your spirit and through your word, that you would transform us into your image as we look to the story of Esther and we see all that you have for us there. We submit ourselves to you. We submit our time to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen, amen. Amen. William Cooper was deemed to be one of the great hymn writers of the Christian faith. When Cooper was 32 years old, he experienced a great crisis in his life, and so he decided that he would end his life by drinking laudanum. His attempt failed. Still determined that his life should end, um, Cooper decided that he would throw himself into the Thames River. Once again, his attempt failed. Still determined that his life must end, um, Cooper decided uh, very purposely to fall on the blade of a knife. Guess what happened? When he fell on the knife, the blade broke. Once again, his attempt had failed. Persistent in his belief that his life should end, Cooper hung himself. Someone found him before he died and cut him down. William Cooper was not able to take his life. One day, uh, Cooper was reading in the book of Romans. And as he was reading, he came across a passage of Scripture. And in that passage of Scripture, he experienced the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. And something suddenly happened inside, and he was transformed. He suddenly had his, found that his spirit was renewed and that uh, his desire to live had been renewed as well. Many years later, as Cooper was reflecting back on his life, he penned these words... God moves in mysterious ways, 
his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storms. In deep, unfathomable treasures of never-failing skill, he treasures up his divine designs to work his sovereign will. When we stop and we think about William Cooper's life, uh, what we see is much more than a series of coincidental failed attempts to end his life. Instead, what we see is the providence of God at work in his life. God was at work in William Cooper's life to accomplish his plan and his purpose for William Cooper. The providence of God. When we talk about, when we think about the providence of God, what does that really mean? Well, maybe we should start with defining what is providence. The word providence comes from two Latin words. One of those words means to see. The other means ahead of time. When you bring them together, it means to see ahead of time. That's the meaning of providence, to see ahead of time. When we attribute, attribute providence to God, it means that God has the ability to see the events of our life ahead of time. We don't do that so well, do we? Our hindsight is 2020. Wouldn't you agree? We can look back and, boy, we can just, we know it all. But to look ahead, we just aren't able to do it. In fact, we don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. We don't know what's going to happen in the next hour. We don't know what's going to happen in the next month. We don't know what's going to happen in the, new year, in the next year. We do not have the ability to see into the future. Sometimes we predict, and sometimes we might even get it right, but it's just luck. We do not have the ability to see into the future. But aren't you glad that God does? Aren't you glad that God is a God of providence? You see, God, the omnipotent, all-knowing God is constantly, consistently, confidently at work to accomplish his plan and his purpose for our lives. That's just what God does. I think to truly understand the providence of God, we have to understand that God is writing a grand redemptive story that trumps human power and is often hidden from human eyes. And even though God is not seen, even though God sometimes seems distant, what we can know is that God is always present in every situation that we find ourselves in, and God is at work, and God, the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God, is invincible. There is not a power, there is not a situation on the earth that you can encounter, encounter that will be greater than God's power. Do you believe that this morning? Our God is a provident God, and he is invincible. As we begin to consider the story of Esther, this is exactly what we come to realize. Here's what we see. In God's providence, God sees a people. And in God's providence, God sees a problem. In God's providence, he steps in. In God's providence, he intervenes in all for the sake of the survival of his people and so that the plan and purpose that he has ordained for the world can be fulfilled. That's what we find in the story of Esther. 
We're going to spend uh, today and the next three weekends in the story of Esther. So it would be good to ask the question this morning, so what is the story of Esther? What's it all about? Who's involved? And what takes place? And those are exactly the questions that I want to answer this morning. It's my goal today to introduce you to the series that we're going to be involved in so that uh, we have a platform through the story of Esther. God has great things in store for us over the next weekends as we mine out the nuggets of truth, spiritual truth in Esther. So today, I have the opportunity to lay the foundation for that. And just so you'll know where we're going, I want to tell you what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to start by giving you four general uh, insights into the story of Esther. And then I'm going to follow that up, and I'm going to introduce you to the five primary characters in the story of Esther. There are other characters, but I'm going to introduce you to the five primary characters. After that, I'm going to give you a flyover, an overview. I'm going to kind of give you... Uh, a Cliff Notes version, I guess it would even be less than a Cliff Notes version of the story, a summary of the story, my personal paraphrase, and then um, not to just leave it at an overview of the story, but what we're going to find is that even in the overview today, we find that there are great spiritual truths that we can apply to our life right now. So that's where we're going. That's what we're going to do. Are you ready? Are your seatbelts fastened? So let's start with these general insights. Here's the first one. Um, so Esther, the story of Esther, the book of Esther is in the Bible. And the Bible is about God. Am I right? Yeah, I think we've all got that one. Did you know that not one time, not one single time in the book of Esther is God mentioned? Not at any time will you find the name of God mentioned in the story. However, what we do find is despite the fact that God's name is met, never mentioned, we find the providence of God at work throughout Esther's situation. God is present. Here's the second insight. God's plan for his people is fulfilled despite an evil, destructive plot against that plan. In other words, God is invincible. Nothing will stop him from fulfilling, fulfilling his plan or his purpose for his people. Here's the third insight. The story of Esther teaches us of the reality of an enemy and the necessity of spiritual warfare. We're going to find that Esther engages in spiritual warfare through prayer and through fasting. And here's the fourth insight. The story of Esther reveals how God sees us and how God um, desires, is willing, and even wants to use us in his plan for the world. God wants to use us. He sees us as likely candidates to be used as part of his purpose. So you've just got now some general insight into the story. Uh, so let me introduce you to the characters, five characters. Character number one. Um, as soon as we begin to read Esther chapter 1, we're introduced to a king by the name of Xerxes. Xerxes was said to be the most powerful man alive during his reign as the king of Persia. He reigned over 127 provinces ranging from India to Ethiopia. He was a man of power. That's King Xerxes. 
And then the second character that we find is his wife, the queen, Queen Vashti. Um, honestly, we don't really know much about Vashti because she doesn't appear in the story for very long. But what we can learn about Vashti and the little bit that we see when we read about her is that she was a very strong woman. She was an independent thinker and she was willing to go against the will of her husband, but she found that it came at great cost. And we'll find out what that cost is in just a moment. Character number three, every story has a villain, right? I want you to imagine this next guy, as I describe him, kind of twisting his mustache that's curled up. He's the villain of the story. His name is Haman. As we begin, yeah, somebody said, boo. Uh, As we begin to read about Haman, um, even though he is a very influential man, in fact, he's the second most influential man in the the king's court. Uh, He is second only to the king. So he's very influential, but as we read, we discern that he is a rude, crude, uh, prideful, conceited man who is a hater of the Jewish people and who devises a plot for their annihilation. That's Haman. The fourth character in the story, we see him throughout the story, is Mordecai. Mordecai plays a very uh, pivotal role throughout the story. We see him woven all throughout the story. Mordecai is a godly Jewish man. Uh, Mordecai is the cousin of of Queen Esther. And uh, not only is he the cousin, but he's, he's her guardian and he's her mentor. And he mentors her throughout the situation. And finally, the last character, of course, is Esther. Uh, Not to devalue her in any way, but um, Esther uh, actually is the star of the story. We see Esther throughout the story. Esther is a, a, a beautiful, young, orphaned Jewish woman raised by Mordecai who becomes the queen Uh, all for the sake of the survival of her people and the fulfillment of God's plan for the entire world. That's how important the story of Esther is. So now you know the characters. Uh, Let me give you a paraphrase of the story. Um, As we begin to read in chapters 1 and 2, we meet King Xerxes immediately. And one of the things that we find out about King Xerxes is that King Xerxes loves to party. He is a party animal. Let me say it this way. He loves him some party. (laughs) The first party that we read about lasts for 180 days. No joke, 180 days, six months of partying. Boy, they must have been worn out. They must have been tired at the end of the party, but not so, because then we read about another party on the tail end of it. It's a seven-day party. In fact, what happens is uh, King Xerxes throws a party for for the men of the kingdom, but over here... Queen Vashti is throwing a party for the women uh, of, of all the provinces. And so um, he, he, he throws this party. He loves him some party. He's a party animal. But uh, while he's in his party here, he decides as a grand finale on the seventh day of his party to send a messenger over to Vashti. And here's what it says. I want you to, he summons her. Listen to this. He summons his wife. He says, I want you to come to my party. And by the way, don't forget to bring and wear your crown. 
Vashti receives the message. You know what her response is? Uh-uh. Not going to happen. I am not going to go over here with this group of drunk, grubby men and have you exploit me. I will not do it. You know what happens? I said it comes at great cost. She's ousted. She's got to turn in her crown. She's no longer queen. She's out of the picture. That's why we always know a little bit about her because she's not there for very long. After a while, we don't really know how long, uh, the king becomes kind of lonely. And so within his court, it's decided that he needs a new wife. Hmm, how might we find a wife for the king? Now, you got to remember, this is prior to online dating. <laughs> there was no match.com. There was no eHarmony. Whatever the things are, mingle, match, for farmers. Oh, I don't know. It just it, it wasn't there. It didn't exist. So somebody had the bright idea, I know, let's throw a beauty pageant and invite all the beautiful women from all the provinces to come and be participants. And the king can choose. Mordecai hears about the pageant, and guess what he does? He registers Esther as a contestant. There's a year of preparation, of beauty preparation, and then each woman is taken before the king. When it's Esther's turn, the story tells us that the king fell in love with Esther over all the other women. He took a crown and he placed it on her head. It's kind of like a, a, uh, an ancient bachelor. Will you receive my crown? <laughs> Suddenly, this little Jewish orphaned girl is the queen of Persia. She's Miss Persia. She's the queen of Persia. And through this, we see the providence of God at work. There's one other thing that happens in chapter 2. Um, Mordecai, remember I said he is the, uh, the guardian, the mentor, uh, the keeper of, of Esther, now Queen Esther, um, so he stayed close to the palace, and one night he was near the palace gates, and there were two guards talking, and he overheard their conversation. And basically what he overheard was a plot that these two guys, these two guards were uh, putting together to, to assassinate the king. And so Mordecai sends a message to Queen Esther uh, with what's getting ready to happen. Queen Esther tells the king, and she's sure to give Mordecai the credit. And that's very significant in the story. Once again, the providence of God is at work. Well, here's what happened to those two guys. As the king found out, he brought them in, and he had them hanged. They're out of the story no longer. They lost their jobs by default. They're, they're not the, the guards anymore. And then uh, we come to chapters 5 through 10. You probably thought, oh, no, he's going to go through all 10 chapters one at a time. No, I'm not going to do that. So we can summarize the rest of the story, chapters 5 through 10. And I would begin by saying, Esther outwits, Queen Esther outwits Haman, the villain. Um, Mordecai uh, has, you know, well, there's something else I want to tell you, though. Um, Mordecai in chapters 3 and 4. Let me go back. It's okay if I go back, right? It's very important to the story. Mordecai uh, in chapters 3 and 4 um, has the real ability to just ruffle the uh, Haman's feathers. 
He can get under his skin. He can just mess him up. He can make him angry. And so um, you remember I said that uh, Haman is the second most powerful man in the kingdom. And so uh, there's an edict that's been given by the king that when you see Haman, you're supposed to bow down to him. Well, Mordecai says, no way. I'm not going to bow down to him. It angered uh, uh, Haman so much that he devised this plot. To, to not only kill Mordecai, but to kill the entire Jewish race. The king finds out. And when the king finds out, uh, it, it's not good. It, it, it's not good. That's when Mordecai sends word to Esther and to the king. Now we're in chapters 5 through 10. Esther outwits Haman in his plot. Um, she takes her petition to the king, and she pleads for protection for the Jewish people. Now, it's important to know that she didn't just immediately go into the king, but she uh, involved herself in three days of prayer and fasting. And she sent word to, to Mordecai, have the people, have the Jewish people fast along with me. Um, it was through this that she was given strategy of how to go before the king. And it's how she outwitted Haman. What she's able to do is to reveal to the king what a dirty, rotten scoundrel Haman is. And when the king finds out just who Haman really is, he has him put to death. And as a result of that, the tables turn and the Jews are then released to fight against those who would come against them. And through the providence of God and through the faith and courage of Queen Esther, the Jewish people are saved and God's plan for the world is able to continue. And so with that, you have an overview of the story. Now, again, I want to encourage you, because I just gave you an overview, that you would this week take time to read the story of Esther at least one time through. It's 10 chapters. And that you would uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And also, it would continue to build on that platform that you have uh, for next the next three weeks as you're hearing about the story of Esther, because God wants to give you great spiritual truths through this. But even today, um, even though I've given you an overview, it would not exclude that there would be spiritual truths that we could learn today. So as I, over the next few minutes, conclude, I want to give you four spiritual truths of application that you can take away concerning the story of Esther today. Here's the first truth. First truth, don't underestimate God. Don't underestimate God. Even when you may not feel it, even when you may not see it, even when you may not see the action of God, God, the omnipotent, all-knowing God is present in your situation. Even when he seems conspicuously absent, he is at work. Can you recall times in your life kind of crisis situations where you felt like in your situation God had left the building, that he had gone AWOL, absent without a leave, and that he was not at work in your situation? If that's the case, and I think we probably all had something like that at some point in our life, here's what I want you to know. In fact, this is what the Lord wants you to know today. That is not true. That is not the case. Even when you can't hear God's voice, even when you can't see his action, even when God seems 
conspicuously absent. Even when you are unable to perceive God, God is present and he is working in your situation. God has not forgotten you. God is at work behind the scenes. God is working out his plan and his purpose, his will for your life. God is at work. God never leaves you alone. In fact, scripture says that, right? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your spirit? God is always present. God is always at work. Receive that today. Here's the second truth. Don't overestimate pagan power. God can work through his greatest enemies to serve his greatest purposes. God can work through his greatest enemies to serve his greatest purposes. Let me ask you this morning. Who is the villain in your life? Who is your Haman? For many of you, a picture just appeared right above your head. Hopefully it wasn't your husband or your wife. (laughs) Whomever that villain, whomever that Haman might be, know this. There is no villain, there is no Haman, there is no power that can keep you from embracing that can keep you from living in, that can keep you from walking out God's plan and purpose for your life that he has ordained before the foundation of the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is no power on earth. There is no power in the universe that can outpower God. There is nothing that can come against, that can falter, that can cause God's plan to fail because God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God is invincible. God is at work in your situation. Nothing will keep his plan for your... There is no enemy that can keep his plan from happening in your life. That leads us to the third truth. Don't overestimate Satan's strategy. Although Satan is seeking to bring destruction, God is working for our good. Although Satan is seeking to bring destruction. God is working for our good. Esther knew that she had an enemy. Not only did Esther know that she had an enemy, but she was very aware of the character of her enemy. She knew that Haman uh, was uh, rude, crude, deceitful, slick, dis- all, all, any adjective that you, the wicked adjectives that you could attribute. She knew that that's who he was. She had sized him up. And it's because of that that she didn't just rush into the king with her plea to save the people. Instead, this is where she engaged herself in spiritual warfare on her knees in prayer and fasting. That was her approach. And it was during that time that God gave Esther a strategy. And it was with that strategy that she went before the king. And it was through that strategy that the king found favor. It's through that strategy that Haman was revealed for who he was. It was through that strategy that happened through spiritual warfare that um, the, the Jewish people were saved. It was through that strategy that we have the gospel today, I truly believe. We have an enemy, right? The Bible is very clear about that. The Bible says his name is Satan. We actually know his character. 
When we read scripture, we know that he is very destructive. He comes to steal, to kill, destroy. Uh, he is the father of lies. He only speaks to us in lies. He never speaks in truth. He has a destructive plan for us. And it's because we know the character of our enemy that we have to be people who are willing to engage in spiritual warfare first on our knees, through prayer, through fasting, through calling out to God, asking God for wisdom, asking God for discernment, asking God for strategy of how to come against the enemy. Remember, the enemy has already been defeated through the cross of Jesus Christ right? Through the death, the burial, and resurrection. We just need the strategy to know how to face him. And it's through that time on our knees in prayer and fasting that God speaks, and then we can go face to face with our enemy and remind him, you have already been defeated. You are powerless over me. You cannot cause me to fear. You cannot intimidate me. In fact, your plot, your plan was put to death 2,000 years ago. That's what it is. But if we don't do spiritual warfare on our knees, we miss out on that strategy being revealed and renewed in us. Here's the fourth truth. Don't underestimate your kingdom significance. God uses the most unlikely people for his greatest work. Esther was a young, orphaned Jewish girl whom most would have considered to be the least likely person to be used to save the Jewish people. But that's not how God saw her. God saw her as the most likely candidate. God placed her in her royal position for such a time as this. That was at God's divine order. God's providence was at work throughout. He was orchestrating because he sees into the future, and God is the one who made it happen. You know, you and I have probably heard many times that we were created by God on purpose for a purpose. The problem is, is that when we hear that too often, we disqualify ourselves. We say, yeah, God, I know, but I'm just, uh, and you fill in the blank. And, and we discount ourselves. We disqualify ourselves. Stop it. That's not how God sees you. He doesn't see you as whatever your fill-in-the-blank is. He sees you as his child that he has redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's given you new life. He has made you a new creation. He is restoring you. He is redeeming you. He is, he is making you brand new every day. And he's raising you up to be a part of his purpose for the world. Have you looked at the culture today? When you walk around, would you agree with me that our culture is really in sad shape? It's changing constantly. It's changing rapidly. And God has a plan for the world. God has a plan for redemption. And he wants to use you and I in that plan. But if we disqualify ourselves, we are not able to be used. We have to stop. And so what we have is even from an overview of the book of Esther, four powerful spiritual truths. Imagine what we're going to learn in the days to come. God has some great things in store for us. But as I close, I, I, I want to pray for you. I'd, I'd like to ask you all to bow your heads. And, and I want to ask you a question. 
How many of you today in the room would confess that you're in a situation of some level degree of crisis and um, in that situation, you, you don't, you have said, I, God, I don't see you at work. It, you, you feel like God has left the building in that situation. You feel like God has gone AWOL, absent without a leave, that God is not present in your situation and you're struggling with that. If that's you today, would, would you raise your hands just all over the room? Just countless hands all over the room, up in the balcony. You can, you can put them down. Here, here's what I, one of the things I want to say to you. This is, I want to say to you, this is personal, a personal experience, but uh, some of my greatest spiritual blessings, some of my greatest spiritual growth has been, some of my greatest spiritual blessings, listen to this, have been gifted to me through the worst villains of my life. Here's what I mean. When there's been villains, when there's been Hamans in my life, God teaches me how to take that situation and give it to him and turn it around for great blessing because it causes me to trust in God, to depend on God in a way I never have before. And it causes me to grow. And God wants to take your Haman. God wants to take your villain. God wants you to know today that he is present in your situation and he is at work against that Haman, against that villain, even though you may not see him, even though you may not hear him, even though you may not feel him, even though you may not perceive him. God is all-powerful. He is present. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he is at work even right now. And that in hearing that, something would happen in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul, that you would say, yes, God, I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. And so I don't deny you anymore, but I recognize that you are at work, working out your will, your purpose for my life. Even though I don't feel it or see it, I accept it by faith. Father God, I pray for every person who raised their hands. I pray that they would be able to receive that word. I pray that they would be able to uh, be renewed in their heart, their mind and spirit, Father God, and where there's hopelessness and despair, they would instead, it would be replaced with anticipation of a very present God who is at work. I pray that there would be a change today. And I pray for every other person in the room who will probably at some time in the future encounter a similar situation where they feel like you're just not there. I pray that you prepare them ahead of time. Father God, I pray even through what we've learned through Esther that you would prepare them for that time so that they would know that you are present and you are working in their situation. God, I pray that you continue to teach us in the weeks to come from this great story. We say, yes, we will receive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.